Welcome to the Democracy in Color podcast, the voice of the new American majority. I'm your host, Amy Allison, and our guest today is California State Senator Kevin DeLeon. DeLeon has been speaking out against family separation and putting his political weight behind it. To actually, in real time, see children put into cages, this is a huge stain in the eyes of the entire world. Kevin DeLeon, welcome to Democracy in Color. Thank you, Amy. It's an honor and pleasure to be here with you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Now, you received the endorsement from the California Democratic Party uh, with your bid to be California's next senator running against Dianne Feinstein. Were you surprised by all that? Well, I wasn't necessarily shocked, but I can tell you this, that it is indeed an honor uh, to have received the, the imprimatur, the, the official seal of approval of the uh, the California Democratic Party. It was incredible to be in Oakland and to engage with so many of the executive board members, the delegates, the hundreds of them who came up to Oakland. And we both campaigned, both the, the senior center and I campaigned uh, before them. And uh, we really talked about our accomplishments. Um, we talked about our values and we talked about our uh, priorities and just as importantly, our vision. It was not easy. It was it was stressful at times, but uh, the shock part was actually securing the sixty five percent, which was a a really definitive number. It was decisive our victories. But overwhelming. What that tells me is the delegates of the California Democratic Party are very unhappy with the incumbent and they're ready for change. You're absolutely right. I think they want bold leadership. They want leadership that's not on the sidelines. They want leadership that's on the front lines. They don't want someone who's going to be complacent or deplete patience with his president. They want someone to go to Washington, even if Democrats are in the minority. Uh, they want someone to have a strong voice that brings a bold leadership, a bold agenda that will really transform uh, our country and give every working family a real opportunity to succeed. Yeah, you're the leader of the California State Senate, and it's, you know, I don't have to tell you, it's not that common that someone of your stature would take on a sitting uh, senator. Tell me what motivated you to enter the race. Well, I'm the leader emeritus of the the California State Senate. I just stepped down uh, just recently from my position as, as being the president to dedicate myself 100% to running for the U.S. Senate. And I can tell you this, uh, Amy, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd actually be running for the U.S. Senate. Um, But when I heard last year that she stated at the San Francisco Commonwealth Club, and she being the senior senator, that if we were patient enough that perhaps that uh, Donald Trump could be a good president in the foreseeable future, I thought to myself, maybe this is the time when the leadership that so many Californians want, that the nation wants and needs in Washington, perhaps I should step up because I don't see no one else doing it. I made a decision, uh, Amy, back in uh, 2016, November 9th specifically, the day after the election when Trump was elected through the Electoral College uh, to become the president-elect, that I was going to resist and help resist and I made the decision uh, very carefully uh, because had Jeb Bush won the presidency, had John Kasich won or say someone like Mitt Romney, even though he wasn't running, um, had someone like them won the presidency, I'd be disappointed as a Democrat. But you know what? I'd get over it in a few weeks. And then I'd try to figure out where we can find common ground as Americans. And where we cannot find common ground, we debate, we dialogue our issues, our ideas within the normalcy of the American body politic. But I recognized right away that this was a man who was going to do everything within his power to undermine our California values, our priorities, 
uh, and our people. And that's why I made the decision to resist immediately. And that's why I was taken aback uh, by the statement that if we were patient enough, that uh, perhaps this president could be a good president. Yeah, and we know I, the answer yeah. to that question. That makes me a little ill. Every day, there's more and more offenses uh, that Trump is exactly. waging against just basic values. I want to talk to you about some of those. But just what do you think the role of a senator, a Democratic Party a, a representative, someone who represents California, should be? You say it's of resistance. What does it actually look like when you're in office? Well, it all depends if you're in the minority or in the majority. In the majority, as the leader of the California State Senate, it's resistance, but with results, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, equal pay for women doing equal work, the most far-reaching climate change policies, if not in the nation, in the entire world, sanctuary state, uh, my measure, Senate Bill 54. So it's not just resisting for resistance sake. It's not just marching for marching sake. It is resisting with results. When you're in the minority, uh, as the Democrats are in Washington, it is to resist. Uh, it is to organize. It is to be vocal. It is to do everything within your power to block any of his attempts, whether they're executive uh, orders, whether they are legislative, statutory, or in this case, the, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, nominee, uh, Kavanaugh, that's before the U.S. Senate. So if you're a senator, whether you're a senior senator or a junior senator, if you're an elected official, period, representing the state of California, it is your, your duty, your role, your responsibility to do everything within your power to protect the state of California, because this man is a clear and present danger to our economic prosperity, to our values, and to our people. You know, a lot of us have been appalled and distraught by the news that the Trump administration enacted a policy a few months back at the border to take children and put them, essentially put them in jail. Little kids. In cages. Cages. Yeah. You yourself uh, wrote a letter to Governor Brown. Tell, tell us about what you said about ending the National Guard support for detaining and separating children at the border and how he responded to that. Well, I think it's important, Amy, to put this in context because when the president asked the governors, especially border state governors, to send National Guard troops from their respective states to help assist uh, the U.S. Border Patrol, I want to put this in context because it's very important to understand. Border crossings at our southern border are at a 50-year low. Is that right? It's at, they're at a 50-year low. Well, yes. you'd, you'd think it was the opposite, the way that Trump goes on about the problem of immigration. The way it's been manufactured, the way it's been amplified, the way that he has used the bully pulpit of the White House to saturate, especially through Fox News, the idea that our southern border is being overrun uh, by murderers, rapists, uh, drug dealers, uh, you name it, terrorists, and uh, nothing can be further from the truth. So when the president asked the various governors, um, or all governors of the union, to send National Guard uh, troops, um, I made it very clear that I opposed it, and I told the governor I oppose it unequivocally because, number one, you're using California tax dollars. Number two, we are sending troops, men and women who are highly trained for combat situations, to intercept women and children. So obviously the governor clearly amended the request from the president and stated very clearly that the troops that would be sent to the border would only work in the capacity of assistance in terms of interception of trafficking of, of, of drugs. And it was very clear to me that these National Guard troops were not being utilized at all 
but just standing around doing nothing. And there was even complaints from other National Guard troops and even Border Patrol agents that the role that they were serving was absolutely uh, non-functional. I sent another letter to the governor and I sent another request withdraw our troops from the uh, border because it makes no sense. It's illogical. It's nonsensical, especially, let me highlight this, when you had two Republican governors who actually followed suit and withdrew their troops from uh, the the border. What do we do about the children? Around 3,000 children were separated from their parents and the Trump administration missed that deadline, did not reunite all the families. Now what? I think that both the Republicans and Democrats on the Hill are going to have to be the sharp tip of the spear because if they do not do it and start acting like an, a co-equal branch of government, uh, he's going to continue to get away with what he's doing right now. I think the judiciary branch clearly sooner rather than later must hold him in contempt of the court order by the federal judge to make sure that they reunite all of the families. Uh, with their children and with their babies. So the uh, other, quote-unquote, co-equal branches of government, the judiciary and the legislative branch, have to really step it up. But I want to really underscore, especially the legislative branch, you've seen Republicans just cower uh, in fear. Uh, And I've seen just not a lot of Democratic resolve. You have some strong folks on the Hill, uh, but I'm not really seeing the collective strong leadership with one singular voice that uh, stares this president down. You're listening to Democracy in Color. Before we get back to our interview with Kevin DeLeon, let's take a quick break for a deeper dive into the issues with our political insider, Tim Molina. Here we are talking about Kevin DeLeon and his Senate bid against Feinstein. And we both live in California. You know a lot about California politics. What did you see in terms of turnout in response to Kevin DeLeon? Because California, I'll remind those of you who don't live in this huge state, it's got a a top two result when you come out of the primary. It it doesn't matter party. And so it's it's Dianne Feinstein versus Kevin DeLeon for that Senate seat. Mm -hmm. Even though we have a, a silly primary system, there's still 45% of the electorate are now registered Democrats, 25% Republican. But here's the thing. Dianne Feinstein had 44% of the vote, where Kevin DeLeon had 11%, and then there's a lot of undecideds. That looks like tough road to climb, isn't it? It is a tough road to climb. It's, so Kevin DeLeon has a long shot, but this is so symbolic. This is why primaries are so important, right? It gives voters a chance to to weigh in and, and not get stuck with the status quo, and it just shows you what they're looking for in terms of leadership. And look what it's done for Dianne Feinstein's platform and on the issues that she's taken. She's trying to take more bold statements around immigration especially and other issues. I can say from Courage Campaign, we work on a lot of California issues. We try to advance a progressive agenda for the country. And Kevin DeLeon has been at the forefront of all those issues. He passed the Sanctuary State Bill, as he's mentioned, uh, or some folks call it that. He has tried to improve retirement. He's 100% renewable renewable energy. Some folks think places like New York and California don't have problems because they're all safe blue. No, 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 no. Highest poverty rates. We have some of the most highest polluted cities in the country. And so I have heard from Kevin DeLeon saying we have to stop it here and we have to stop it across the country. I haven't seen that. I, I might have missed it. But I have not seen that in the same degree from, from Diane Feinstein. 
How do you think things are shifting now that we're looking at the November general election? Most people, they're not paying attention to the election. They're not even paying attention to the primary. We have seen higher turnout in this primary than 2014, which is good to see. But there's still a lot more people that can vote. And I think now Kevin DeLeon has more time to really carve out a name for himself, to show what he's done. Though he was the leader, he was the head of the state Senate. Most people don't know that. No, Most people aren't paying attention to that. Dianne Feinstein's kind of a household name. But now I think he's going to get a lot more attention lot more time. But the one big thing is money. I mean, she's got over six, seven million dollars on, on hand where he has maybe a million after the primary. So that will be a big thing, how he gets his name out there. Well, you, yeah. Senator Feinstein will use that to what? Buy TV ads? Uh, I don't even have a TV. I just want to <laughs> I, I want to ask about that. It's yeah. like, how is a Senate campaign yeah. going to be run with a million dollars in a huge state like California. I think there's two things for both of them is how are they going to talk the talk while they're campaigning and how are they going to walk the walk because they're both in office still. So Kevin DeLeon's no longer the head of the Senate, but he has he's authored bills on restoring net neutrality and making the Internet open and free in California. He's still authoring a bill for 100 percent renewable energy. I think he has plenty of opportunity to show the people of California what he would do if he was elected to the Senate. And I wonder how Diane Feinstein, what she's going to do to lead in the next four or six months. Yeah, well, stakes are high. Yes, they Stakes are. are high. Thanks, Tim. Of course. Thank I'll you talk very to you much. next time. California is a state that's a majority people of color state. And, you know, you're running against a long-term incumbent for U.S. Senate, She's got a ton of money. What do you think it's going to take uh, for you to uh, win in November? Well, I can say, Amy, that um, our goal was to get into the top two, come hell or high water. In the, in the primary, in the California in the primary, primary. In, into the general election. If you remember when you opened up your ballot and you saw those names, because I remember when I saw those names, I said, oh, my God, this looks like the white pages. Name after name after name after name. There was 32 candidates on that ballot, 32 candidates. And understandably so, the vast majority of Californians didn't know all of the candidates minus one, that being senior senator, Dianne Feinstein, 25 years of incumbency, 95% name recognition. But, you know, we we got into the top two. Now we have a different matchup. It's a one-on-one matchup. It's a matchup where we can contrast our accomplishments, our values, and our vision for a state like California. Now, I have to roll up my sleeves, and I have to go to, to, to the city. I have to go to Oakland, whether it's, you know, in the hills or whether it's in Fruitvale, whether it's in East Oakland. I got to go down to East Bay. I need to go to Contra Costa, South Bay, Central Valley, Sactown, L.A., Inland Empire. It's a huge state. I have found out as a, as a lifelong Californian. I have really found out how huge this state is. Yeah, and yeah. I'm going to go all over the state of California and, and bring a, a message of change. And uh, getting the, the endorsement of the California Democratic Party, which a lot of folks didn't think it was it was within reach, that it was possible. Uh, we actually shocked the nation and shocked the world. You'd be the first uh, Latino senator uh, from the state of California. Uh, you had an immigrant mom. I did. Uh, she must have had a lot to do with your values. Uh, my mother went to the third grade, single mother, uh, immigrant mother. Uh, she was a housekeeper. She helped in convalescent homes as well as an LVN or CNA. She worked her fingers to the bone, and she cleaned homes in La Jolla, uh, a beautiful, uh, uh, well-to-do community with panoramic views of the uh, the Pacific Ocean. But um, you're right. 
Amy, because it was this woman, this single mother. She was the one who put the roof over my head, who put the clothes on my back and put the food on the table. It wasn't a man. It was a woman, and it was a single mother. And she How was old was one. she when she came to the country? She, I'm going to guesstimate, um, I think perhaps in her late 20s. And my mom, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, passed away at the age of 54. Wow. Uh, so I realize how young that age is as I get older. And she never saw any of this. Um, me being leader of the Senate or senator or even assembly member, um, she never saw any of this. But uh, I talk about her a lot during the course of my campaign. It, it took me uh, some nudging and prodding from folks to have me share my story openly. Um, and it's a part Wait, of Why me, is uh, that? Why? Yeah. I mean... It, your mom, your mom immigrated from where? My mom uh, immigrated from Central America, uh, from Guatemala uh-huh. specifically. Ah, from Guatemala. Yeah. And there's a uh, some of the families at the border are yes. also from Guatemala and Central America. That, how does that strike you? How does that affect your own feeling about this? Well, the what happens? Issue? What's happening at the borders is something that's very personal to me. Um, it's personal to me because of so many families that have come across. Uh, this border uh, or come across overseas, whether they come from Nigeria or, or Ghana or, or Haiti or, or or Mexico or Central America or elsewhere from China, uh, seeking a better life, um, wanting to contribute to this great country and folks who pay their taxes, pledge their allegiance to red, white, and blue, uh, who bear laws, have yet to normalize their legal status, ultimately because you have a Congress who have lacked the, the courage of their convictions and quite frankly, the leadership abilities to, to get this done. Uh, because ultimately, one thing that's missing, Amy, is that when you see different states all over the country enacting their own different quasi-pseudo-immigration policies through their state legislative bodies, this is all a reflection of one location in the country, Washington, where they have not been able to get their act together. And I believe that both parties are culpable. They're guilty of lack of leadership. It's not just the Republicans, but it's the Democrats who have demonstrated a lack of leadership to get this done. Back to your comment about being really prodded to share your personal mm-hmm. story. What was it that has made you feel vulnerable in terms of talking about how you grew up and, and how that shaped you as a person, as a, as a public um, servant? When I ran for office for the very first time, it, it took some prodding. And it was a woman who, who brought it out of me. At, at first, my thinking was... I don't think my mother would appreciate if I told everybody that she only went to the third grade, that I told everybody that she was a housekeeper and she cleaned out wealthy people's homes. We know these stories exist. I didn't think she, at a very personal level, would like it. I, I don't know the answer to that question, obviously, because she's no longer with us. Um, but uh, it was this woman who brought it out on me, and she told me that you have a story to, to, to tell, you have a story to share. It's your story. And I'm sure your mother would be proud of you. Um, you should feel comfortable because it is your story. Um, and then I started sharing it. And then um, it's easy to, to share it now because it's my story. But you know, one thing too, Amy's, I want to really underscore is when I do share it, especially when I share it, it's interesting because when I go to elementary schools, high schools, middle schools, mm-hmm. but even elementary schools. Yeah, the young you know, kids. Young yeah. kids. You know, when you're third grade, fourth grade, you are not really listening to whoever's talking in the classroom. When I talk to them and I mention my mom, they all just, they get out of attention and they're looking at me with a laser beam focus 
because you can tell intuitively some of their mothers are housekeepers or some of their mothers are selling fruit, you know, on the streets or some of their mothers are waitresses, uh, single mothers. And I tell them for those who have no father at the house, just a mother, be proud of that. Never be mm. ashamed. Um, it's that woman who's paying to, to protect you. And, um, you know, I, uh, I grew up without a, a father and it was tough for me actually when I was older, not younger, uh, because the old adage, ignorance is bliss. You know, I was completely oblivious to the idea of not having a steady, consistent male presence in my family because it was dominated primarily by women. But I try to connect with other uh, young kids in particular and say, my story is not an original story. It's not a unique story. It's not a story uh, of a politician trying to promote himself, you know, by saying how unique he is, how original. My story is a story of millions of other yeah. people, just like my story is their story and vice versa. It is not unique. You're listening to Democracy in Color. We'll be right back with our interview with Kevin DeLeon. Hi, I'm Amy Allison, host of the podcast Democracy in Color, the voice of the new American majority. Join our conversations with today's best and brightest political leaders, strategists, and thinkers. Our mission, to take our country back with the power of progressives of every race. And we invite you to join us. To learn more, visit democracyandcolor.com or follow us on Twitter at Democracy Color. You frame family separation as a crisis of family values and that it points to a bigger way that non-ideological issues have become partisan. What are the other issues that you see that's happening? And is that a progressive strategy in terms of bringing, building a big tent to bring people together in a very divisive time? Well, let me say this, Amy. I am, and these are truly part of my beliefs. They're part of my values. So um, I believe that, that we all believe strongly in family values, that no federal government should ever separate innocent mothers from their children and children from uh, their, their parents, their mothers or their fathers. Those are family values that we all adhere to that quite frankly are, are not uh, ideological. They're not partisan per se. They're not part of the political spectrum, whether you're a progressive or a mod, whether you're a liberal or Republican or a far right wing extremist. Uh, these are family values. These are part of the natural order of things. Um, and when you start violating them, you see the hypocrisy of those who have touted family values all of their lives are for that political party that has always been perceived as the law and order party. Uh, and now you see them tearing down the FBI, which I find quite fascinating and interesting that a party of law and order, a perceived party of law and order, is now been busy tearing down the FBI and other police agencies because they're investigating their president. This is unlike anything we've seen, at least in our modern political history, because I've been accustomed to reading about this in history books in, in high school, Executive Order 9066, when they interned Japanese Americans, the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, Jim Crow laws, uh, the poll tax against African Americans, uh, slavery, the Civil War, Operation Wetback, everything we read about the 60s and how how tumultuous this period was with human and civil rights and the Voting Rights Act and Civil Rights Act and the right for women to, 
to, to vote in the Vietnam War, but to actually in real time see children put into cages. This is a huge stain in the eyes of the entire world. And that's why we have to step up forcefully, not be preaching conciliation, patience, civility. You know, we're all still reeling from Justice Kennedy's retirement announcement. Mm-hmm. Of course, he was a swing vote during a crucial time, especially women's reproductive rights and immigration. Now, Trump has an opportunity to stack the court in his favor. Mm-hmm. He's got his person he's trying to push through a lot of damaging laws. What do you see your role and Congress's role in checking that power? I don't see the following things lightly. Um, I think that's why strategic vision is is sorely needed to represent the great state, our state, California, and Washington. Brett Kavanaugh is before the U.S. Senate, uh, and we had an opportunity to stop him from actually being voted on to be on the Washington, D.C. Court of Appeals, which is known as the Farm Club. The next step up is the U.S. Supreme Court. And the senior senator uh, voted yes to allow a vote to happen on um, Brett Kavanaugh uh, years back. And many folks had warned don't allow this vote to happen because he could one day possibly be a U.S. Supreme Court nominee. At the time, Barbara Boxer, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, the late Ted Kennedy, Dick Durbin, even Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid, they all voted no. But our senior senator voted yes. And at Republicans at the time needed a handful of Democrats to acquiesce to their request to allow a vote to take place. And she did. And as a result, and she yeah. did. And as a result, she, now he's before the U.S. Supreme Court. And she got the US played. Senate. Yeah. And now we're all suffering. Now we're all suffering because we have a man who seeks to undo a woman's right to choose what she wishes to do with her own body. Right. If you don't convince uh, Senator Collins from uh, Maine and Murkowski from the state of uh, uh, Alaska, And if those three Democrats don't hold, there's nothing you can do in that Judiciary Committee. They will confirm this guy. So that being said, that means (laughs) we Democrats in the U.S. Senate have to use every tool in the box to slow down that Senate parliamentary-wise and make sure there is not a vote. You've got to slow that down. If that means shutting down the U.S. Senate, you've got to shut down the U.S. Senate. It sounds like they're not doing everything they can. I think that's why you need different type of leadership, because I can tell you this, if it was reverse, these Republicans would never hesitate. In they throw their years. body on the whole thing. I mean, and we've seen them down. do that. We've seen and we've them do seen, that. And we've seen conservatives fight for what they believe in. But we have not seen a handful of Democrats, especially in positions of power, fighting for what they believe in. Because what's at stake is a woman's right to choose, uh, voting rights, civil rights, um, uh, environmental laws. Uh, with regards to the air that we breathe and the water that we drink. All of these are up for grabs if this man becomes a U.S. Supreme Court uh, uh, justice because some Democrats want to preach civility. Kevin DeLeon, who's running for U.S. Senate in California, will be on the ballot in November. How do we learn more about you? Well, you can go to kevindeleon.com. Uh, All my information is there. If you guys want to reach us, uh, please do so. We need as many resources as possible to get our message out. But uh, uh, all the help is deeply, deeply appreciated. Uh, This is going to be exciting. It's going to be fun to get people of color, uh, young voters, millennial voters, uh, college-age voters to get out to to vote. 
Um, and this is going to have, I think, a positive impact uh, on the congressional races, too, because you need more people of color and you do need more younger voters to make the difference during a non-presidential year to flip back those seven, eight congressional seats that are currently in the hands of Republicans. So this is a good thing uh, when you have two Democrats at the top of the ticket. Yes. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Thank best you. of luck. Our tip of the spear. Yes. Thank you, Amy. This episode of Democracy in Color was produced by Lantigua Williams & Co. Our editor is Chiquita Pascal. Our producer is Paula Mardo, with additional production support from LaVon Briggs. Special thanks to Tim Molina, political director of Courage Campaign, and our guest, State Senator Kevin DeLeon. If you appreciate this podcast as much as we appreciate you, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us on iTunes. You can learn more about us at democracyandcolor.com. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter. Tell a friend, a colleague, or a neighbor to tune in for their dose of political intelligence. So until next time, thanks for joining us.